Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible study, and I will do my best uh, not to have a nosebleed uh, in this week's uh, Bible study. Hopefully we can stay for those of you that watch it live. Uh, we can give you video uh, the entire time, and we won't have to stop, and Adler have to figure out how to make this happen. Uh, let's pray that it goes smoothly today. We are going to be moving in to session two of our brand new series called Knowing God, based on the book from J.I. Packer uh, by the same name. So let's do a little bit of housework before we move into uh, session two today. This will be the last uh, live Bible study of 2020. Uh, so after today, uh, there will not be Bible studies the next two Wednesdays. Uh, the next new Bible study, which will be se session three of Knowing God, will be on January the 6th. So uh, make a note of that. I will be on vacation for two weeks. Uh, and this is a great opportunity for you to go back and to maybe consume Bible studies that you missed. Uh, we have some standalone Bible studies that you can find uh, that were not part of a series. Uh, there may be a series that you didn't hear all of and you want to catch up on that. Uh, there's a couple ways to do that. and One is a little easier than the other. Uh, the simplest, and it's audio only, is to go to BurgessMinistries.com, my last name, BurgessMinistries.com, and click on Listen. And when you do, you'll see the, the Wednesday Bible study or the men's Bible study. I forget exactly the title, but you'll see it there. When you click on it, you can easily go through any series you'd like to because they're all titled and nice and neat for you. Uh, they all seem to be in the order of the episodes, and there's about five years' worth of them there. Uh, if Ones that's not as easy to, to navigate but is available to you is our YouTube channel, for those of you that are watching it right now. You click on Playlist. You see the men's Bible study there, uh, and you could, you do need to click on those to kind of see the titles. It's a little more complicated to find older studies, but it can be done uh, also in video form if you prefer. There's there's not uh, there's not five years worth of archives, but there's at least three years uh, worth of archives there because we didn't start video to a couple of years into this Wednesday Bible study. So that's what that'd be a great thing for you to do. If, if Wednesday or whenever you consume this Bible study, don't get out of that routine because I am I feel certain there's very few of you that have heard every single Bible study. Now, there may be some, and I think that's great, uh, but there may be some things you want to go back and listen to. Uh, also, I uh, want to remind you that themanchurch.com, which is our hub for all things men's ministry, resources for individual men, curriculums uh, for small groups, uh, events, whatever the case may be, uh, we have uh, our, our final installment from our 40-day devotional series called How to Be a Man. Uh, we did the Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity. We did Real Men of the Bible. Our third and final book in this series uh, is available now, and it is What Does It Look Like to Be a Disciple? We hear the Bible talking, Jesus said to make disciples, or you are my disciples, and, and, and discipleship. What does that mean? So we take eight characteristics, and we say this is what discipleship looks like. Uh, we have a great pool of writers, including myself, that, that wrote these uh, for you to consume in a 40-day devotional. It's also a great gift idea. Uh, TheManChurch.com, if it's merchandise, the opportunity to order that and get it by Christmas has passed. But if you want to buy this new devotional, you can do that all the way up to Christmas Eve because we're going to give you something to print out that shows the person you bought it for that they're getting the devotional in January. And if you buy on the pre-sale, I'll autograph every copy of those. So that'll be something as a gift as well. Uh, and you can get that by going to howtobeamanpresale.com, howtobeamanpresale.com. 
Uh, also, don't forget at BurgessMinistries.com to see all the upcoming events and services that will be happening in 2021, and you make your plans to join us, okay? So let's, let's open in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, help us to know you better. Uh, you said if we pursue you, we find you. Uh, and so, God, I, I pray today uh, that, that we will listen uh, to your, uh, your servant, J.I. Packer, and how you uh, inspired him to get these words down on paper as we unpack those today and we apply them to our lives and ask an uncomfortable question. Today, do we even desire to know you? Is that something that we desire? Uh, may today be a day of reflection as we celebrate this wonderful time of year when you came to us when we could not come to you, but also knowing full well uh, that that uh, period of, of history is over. You are no longer a baby in a manger. Uh, you are no longer uh, the servant hanging on the cross, paying the price for sin. That has all been accomplished. Now you are back in your proper place, in your proper glory. And so may we remember what you did while we prepare for what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, if you have the book, J.I. Packer, Knowing God, we're, we're going to walk through chapter 2 today. If you don't have the book and you don't think you need to have the book, you just want to hear me work through it every week, that's fine too. Uh, but, uh, but if you have it, go to, to chapter 2. And if you have your Bible, remember, always be leery of any Bible study that doesn't feature the Bible. If you have your Bible, let's go to the, the great book of Philippians, and I want you to be looking at chapter 3 because we're going we're gonna to reference that. Uh, so the title of this, uh, this chapter in the book uh, by J.I. Packer is called The People Who Know Their God. Um, and, uh, and can you in your life actually say without hesitation that you know God? Is, is that something that you can sit down and you can think, I do think that I know God? Now remember, we're not saying know about God. Do you think you know God? Uh, those who know God don't think of things that they may have missed, they think of what they have gained, and, and what they have gained is knowing God. Paul talks about this quite clear in Philippians chapter 3, and, and I want you to go to verse 7, because what you're about to hear is the Holy Spirit-inspired words of a man who knows God. And, and, and listen to what he's saying about this mindset of those who either know God or they desire to know God, they're in the process of knowing God, the way that, that, that these people think, and I don't know whether you're one or not, and I'm going to assess whether I'm one or not, but this is how they think, and it's this. But whatever gain that I had, now understand what Paul is saying, whatever gain that I had before I knew God, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ, Indeed, I count everything. All right, if, you, if you've got your Bible out, this would be a great opportunity for you to grab a pen or a pencil or a highlighter, and I would underline that. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count, underline, highlight everything, not some things, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, I mean the value, of knowing, underline that, highlight that, Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things 
and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, the King James Version, and I know I got some King Jamesers out there. I hear from you. In the King James Version, the word rubbish there is actually dung, D-U-N-G. So we are talking about Paul referencing something very undesirable. And that's the way he sees his life and the things he once held in a place of value that he's lost and he's gained God. He said, I'm so consumed with what I've gained, I couldn't care less about what I've lost. Is that you? Uh, is, is that me? You know, we did the study on 1 Peter not too long ago. Uh, you may or may not recall that 1 Peter uh, in chapter 1, verse 8, Peter is talking about knowing God, and he describes it as joy unspeakable, full of glory. And I love this line out of J.I. Packer when he says, those who truly know God are not, so easily distracted by other things. I mean, if you know God, you're you're so consumed and so full of joy, unspeakable, and and you're counting the value of it so high that you are rarely distracted by anything other than Him. Now, I love that. And I told you when we started in this study that it's going to be one of those studies, and, and they all are because... They all at the foundation have the Word of God there. These are going to be things to consider that are challenging, which I love. I love that because my desire is to grow in my knowledge of God, not just my knowledge about God, but my knowledge of God because to know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to obey Him, and to obey Him and walk with Him is to be consumed by how wonderful He is and how silly. Anything looks compared to him, and those things just do not distract us anymore. In the uh, in the book, you know, you see it on, on page twenty-five. J.I. Packer begins to talk about uh, knowing verses and knowing about God, and he says we need, frankly, to face ourselves at this point. So we are perhaps orthodox evangelicals, meaning we know the principles of our faith, and we and we state the gospel clearly and. And we can, we can smell unsound doctrine a mile away. And, and, and if asked how one may know God, we can at once produce the right formula that we come to know God through Jesus Christ, the Lord, in virtue of his cross and, and meditation uh, and, and on the basis of his word and, and promise by the power of the Holy Spirit via personal exercise of faith. And that's great. And we, and we, and we know these things and we know how to recite these things. He says, but... He said, if, if, if we were asked about the knowledge of God, we might not know as much. We, we may not experience in our life this, this joy unspeakable, uh, the, the, this glory that is overwhelming. Uh, we're saying all these things about God. We know the gospel perfectly. We, we know theology. We, we're orthodoxed in our way of thinking, but yet you look into our life and you see where is the joy unspeakable? Uh, where is the be anxious about nothing? Uh, where is the as long as I've got God, I really don't care what else I don't have? And he said, see, those are, the, those are the tenets of someone that actually knows God. And I love this. 
He said, if you look to someone who knows a lot about God, but the fruits of knowing God are absent, he said, I would go as far as to say this, and this is going to be one of those statements, and I'll say it slowly in case you don't have this underlined in the book. A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about God. Mm. Let's say that again. A little knowledge of God, meaning truly experiencing Him, experiencing Him to the point that you're changed by it, that, that, that you've, you've, you have tapped in even just a little bit to what He really is and the power of God. And, and the fruit of that is so evident in your life you'd be better off and you'd have a much more powerful life if you knew a little bit of God as opposed to not having that and knowing a tremendous amount about God. You've met these people. And I think there's been times when I was obsessed and growing, I think I got obsessed with knowing about God more than obsessed with, about knowing God. But that has changed in my life. Uh, and, and I understand what J.I. Packer is talking about, even though I'm still challenged about it because I know that I don't know God as, as intimately as I can, and, 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 as, and I'm looking forward to it, but, I, but, I, but that's my, I want to. So there's some things that he talks about on page 26 to focus on this point a little further, and he says he's going to say a couple things here, and, and number one is one can know a great deal about God without, mo, without much knowledge of God, um, and, and he begins to kind of unpack this for us a little bit. He says there's a very... He said, all these things of knowing about God, they're, they're fine. And, and we're not saying don't know about God. But he's just saying that can't be your whole experience because that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be tapping into the fruit that is produced by knowing God. Remember John 15 and our study of the Gospel of John? Abide in me and I abide in you. Thus I produce fruit in your life proving that you are my disciples. Meaning Jesus is saying, I'm so powerful that if you get to where you know me, you just don't know about me, but you know me, I'm so powerful, my power will radically change you and fruit will begin to flow from you because of me that you never saw coming. You couldn't do it on your own. You couldn't do it if you tried. And all these things about, not, uh, about God are good. And, 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 but he said, but just interest in theology and knowing about God and, and the capacity to think clearly and talk well on Christian themes is not at all the same thing as knowing God. We may know much about God, as he said, as much as maybe even John Calvin and some of the heroes of the faith and Spurgeon knew. Indeed, if we study his works diligently, sooner or later we shall, and, and, and yet all the time, unlike Calvin, I may say, we may hardly know God at all. He says, you may study John Calvin's writings or Spurgeon's writings, writings, and you may then take the knowledge that they know about God. He said, but the thing that would make you different than a John Calvin or a Spurgeon or, you know, just the list goes on and on of, of, of these, these godly men of the faith. He said, just because you read their writings, they can't vicariously allow you to know God. They can help you know about God, but they can't help you know God because their relationship with God is their own, and you've got to make your relationship with God your own. Uh, you can spout somebody's writings uh, verbatim, and, and these writings can be, can be theologically sound, but that doesn't mean that they somehow gave you that relationship of knowing God. You can't get it through somebody else. And I think sometimes we're satisfied with pontificating and knowing the brilliant writings 
of someone who, who really the only thing that made them great was how much they know God, not how much they knew about God. And we miss it. All we want to know is what they know about him. And that's what he says you have to be careful of. Number two, he said one can know a great deal about godliness without much knowledge of God. And, and, uh, and, and he goes on to talk about this at, at great length here in, um, in, in chapter 26. He talks about the different things uh, that, that different denominations say about what it looks like to be godly. And, and he goes on in, in page 27, he says, whatever else may be said about the state of affairs, it certainly makes it possible to learn a great deal secondhand about the practice of Christianity. He says, moreover, if one has, has been given a good bump of common sense, one may frequently be able to, to use this learning to help floundering Christians of less stable temperament to regain their footing and develop a sense of, you know, a, you know, understanding about their troubles or who God is in tough times, and and maybe they'll learn how to function biblically, uh, you know, and and gain for oneself a reputation, you know, for being quite a pastor. And look, hey, you really helped me when you reminded me of this in the Bible. He said, yet one can have all this information, and they can even be helped through troubles in life, and hardly know God at all. See, you see what I'm talking about? I know, it, 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 it's, this, is, this, this is challenging me too. He says, so now we're back to where we started. The question is whether we are good at theology, are balanced in our approach to problems of Christian living. The question is, can we say simply, honestly, not because we feel that as evangelicals, because we ought to, but because it's a plain matter of fact that we have known God and because we have known God, the unpleasantness that we have had or the pleasantness we have not had, though being Christians, does not matter to us. Meaning, if we truly know God, the state of affairs that we're in is irrelevant. Uh, I may be sitting here in a very unpleasant situation and uh, my devotion to God may have cost me this or I don't have that. And he says, if you really do know God, you really couldn't care less because God is so sustaining and knowing God is so fulfilling. It's, it brings such contentment, such, such satisfaction that what you lost in order to know God, you can't believe you ever cared about it. And, and look, I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm not there yet, but I'm working there, and it's quite freeing. I, I just want you to know that. And he says, um, we're not saying, not just saying it, he said, that is a sign that we need to face ourselves more sharply with the difference between knowing God and merely knowing about him. He says, we can't just keep saying the phrase, and I hope you're getting this in this Bible study because we got a journey coming up. And maybe it's good that we got these two weeks for you to ponder these first two sessions and go ahead and digest them, and then you're prepared for now we're saying, and here's what this is going to look like. But you've got to be willing to say, I am willing. I'm willing to take on this project, and I'm willing to understand the difference and then act to, to, to know what it's like to know God and not just be satisfied with knowing about God. So this will help us. Are you ready? This is a great assessment. Remember 2 Corinthians, assess yourself you know, to see if you really are of the faith. So now J.I. Packer does what I know the people like me, I, I'm screaming already only in chapter 2, well, tell us, tell us. Well, he, he, first of all, he says to get ready 
I'm going to give you some evidences of knowing God. If you want to know what people look like who are living the difference of, of not just knowing about God, but knowing God, I can give you some things to look for. He says, those who know God have a great energy for God. So write that one down. That's number one. Those who truly know God, you talk about people of action. Uh, I mean, and, and I've seen this, you know, in, in the life of the people who know God. The people who know God, they don't have to muster energy to talk about God. They have to muster energy not to talk about Him. You remember me making, making, laughing at, at, through my sanctification process that, that I've gotten to the point where I've had to learn to do small talk so I can keep some people at least who are saying, look, Burgess, I want to hang with you, but I really don't want to talk about God the entire time we're together. Now, I would like to get to the point, I spend more time, honestly, with the people who do than I do with the people who don't because, honestly, small talk and talking about football and talking about politics, and I know these things can be, one of those is fun and one of them is, I'm not saying it's not important, but I will tell you this, I have to pretend to care about it. And I try to make myself go, well, you know, I still enjoy a little talk about football here and there and whatever, but, but there's nothing, I mean, even on this show, I mean, right over here is the microphone, you see me touching it, even on this show, just full disclosure, okay, and you may listen to the show and watch the show differently if, if, that, if you even know that part of what we do here. Um, a fire begins to burn inside me when I see phone calls or conversations are about to get into talking about God. When it's not... I have an obligation to try to give make people laugh a little bit and talk about things that are silly like cookies and stuff today or you know talk about the football games or talk about this coming up. I do that because it's it's good strategy to do that because I want to earn the right to talk about God. But let me tell you something. On this show there's nothing that that, that starts the fire inside of me. There's nothing. I mean, that gets me more excited than I'm thinking, "Hey, we're about to get in a really t uh, deep conversation about God on this show and I can't wait." Uh, there was a time when I shied away from it. You know why? I didn't know God, and I didn't know much about God. I believed in God, so I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't have anything really to say, and I certainly couldn't answer a question that somebody would have. But now that I've gone to the step of knowing about God, and now I'm getting to knowing God, uh, I find myself looking forward to conversations about God more than really anything else. So those who, who know God have a great energy for God. They're excited about this. If, if you have your Bible, the book of, of Daniel, the book of Daniel, if you go there, if you see uh, Daniel 11, now, you know, when you, if you want to look what it looks like with people living this out, uh, you know, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going to see a lot of things that we say to, today that, that come out of the book of Daniel. I mean, you could really spend uh, weeks and weeks and weeks looking at Daniel and seeing exactly what I'm talking about, what it looks like to see men who know God. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these are four guys. They live their life with these characteristics, and this is one of the things that you see in Daniel chapter 11, and we're getting, getting to the end of the book of Daniel, and you see in verse 32, it says he shall, um, it, what, what's, what he's talking about before this is all the attempts to lure you away from God these people will come to you, and they'll try to flatter you. My wife says that all the time. She says, Rick, let me tell you one of the things you need to always look for as far as the, the platform that you have for God. Always be cautious of people that try to win you over through flattery. Always be. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who gives a heartfelt, man, thank you. I, I appreciate, uh, you know, I asked you a question. Thank you for 
helping me the other day. I'm not talking about that. These people that start all this, you know, hey, let me tell you something. Uh, hey, you, hey, you've got an anointing. Hey, hey, I've heard a lot of people do this. Let me tell you what you did the other day. And all of a sudden you start going, well, look at me. I'm getting a little bit of a big deal. She said, always be careful of people that come after you with flattery because they don't have your best interests at stake. It's one thing to be encouraged. It's another thing to be flattered. And, and so Daniel's talking about this in the book of Daniel, Daniel saying that, that uh, there's, there'll be an attempt to seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Now remember, they're constantly having to stand for God's covenant when they're being told what they can, that they are to blaspheme God. You know what they did. When they're told to eat foods they weren't supposed to eat, you know what they did. And they had resolved this. I mean, they were immovable on this because they knew God. Well, he's, he's talking about the, this is the line that needs to be underlined in your life and in my life out of Daniel 11, verse 32. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So in other words, who are the people who know their God? The people who stand firm and take action. Have you seen this? I mean, even in our own country, these are the people that say, when it comes time for them to stand firm for God on God's standard, on fill in the blank, they don't do it. Now, that person may know a lot about God, but they don't know God. Rick, who are you to judge? I am judging it. I'm judging it correctly. I'm not judging it incorrectly because this, this word of God just said to me, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So with that, what's the opposite of that? If I don't stand firm and I don't take action, then I don't know God. It's not my opinion. Who, you, you, you couldn't care less what I think, and that's the right thing. But you know what? You better know what the Bible says. And the Bible says people who don't stand firm and don't take action don't know their God. Do you know why that is? Because to know him is to love him, and, and to love him is to stand firm for him, not because he needs you to, because you want to. Does God need me to stand firm for him? No. He allows me to stand firm for him. It's a pleasure. It's a, it, you know, I, I've heard this, first time I ever heard this, I thought, this is so profound. God's will for your life is not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, it's something you get to do. So those who know their God, they stand firm, take action. They want to be about his business. They want to stand up and say, that's the biggest thing that we, that we the people of God, have got to communicate better. Hey, you who oppose God, I don't hate you. I just stand firm for him. Uh, look, I mean, you shouldn't care how I feel about you. I want you to care how God feels about this. I stand for him. And if you're against him, then if he's against you, I'm with him. Yeah. I, there, there's nobody that's going to pull me away from God. I don't care who you are. Because I want to be right with him more than I want to be right with you. And see, we've got that wrong. Even inside the church, what we're finding right now, there's a lot of people that know about God, but if they knew God, not just about God, if they knew God, they would care more how God sees it than how any human being sees it. We're coddling human beings to be sure that we're not at odds with them or we don't hurt anybody's feelings. Uh, we don't want them to be upset. But are we, do we care if God's upset? Well, people who know God do. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they really did not care what people did to them. They were concerned about not being in the right standing with the God they knew. 
because they knew it. The people who know God shall stand firm and take action. Uh, this is talking about the people of God's reaction to any anti-God trends. Remember, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were perfect citizens until when? Somebody tried to blaspheme God. Or somebody asked them to blaspheme God. And at that point, they did not go along just to get along. Because this was a moment where they had to decide between being people pleasers or God pleasers. And you know what? It wasn't even a difficult decision for them. Well, Rick, that's difficult. Not if you know God, it's not. Because you immediately do it. They, 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 must, they, they rise up against any concept or anyone or anything that dishonors God's name. So one of the things we look at, uh, to, if you know God, is what? Are you someone who has a great energy uh, for, for God? Uh, also, uh, people who know God uh, pray with zeal, and they pray with energy. Uh, they pray and they petition God. Um, they... Um, you know, when, when you look at, at, at Daniel chapter 9, uh, underline that, Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. Again, here's somebody that knows God. You know what it, it, we find them doing? They pray and they petition. Uh, they fast and they did this in sackcloth and ashes. The energy to pray for God's cause. Uh, you know, you're sitting there saying, well, I don't know. You know, I, I may not have certain skill sets. I don't know about, you know, my handling everything. Hey, you can pray, can't you? Who can't pray? I don't know if I have that skill set. You don't have the skill set to pray? You can't fast? You can't petition? You can't lament? You can't meditate on God? You can't pray with, 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 with fervency and energy that God's will be done, that he be glorified, and pray against those who come against him? You can do that, can't you? You don't have to be some great orator, you know, even though that's not a, an excuse, uh, apparently, if you know anything about the, uh, uh, the story of Moses. I think sometimes we think if I don't have an exact skill set to do something, then God doesn't want me to do it. Well, you must not have read the Bible. He uses people in ways they didn't think they had a skill set all the time. You know why? You know why he's more likely to do that sometimes? Because it glorifies him. You say, you know, Moses is not a very good speaker, but look at all he did. That must have been God. You know, I mean, you, you know the story of Gideon. I mean, God keeps taking his army down more and more and more, and Gideon's like, hey, man, I'm getting down to some really small numbers here. You know, it's God saying, well, then when you destroy, when I destroy this enemy, you'll know I did it, you didn't. You know, because you, what do you say? Well, we won because we had uh, more, more forces than they did. Well, is, that, is God in that? Well, he, yeah, he could be. But let me tell you, when you know God's in it, when you're like uh, the, uh, Israel and you win a six-day war, you know, there's, there's some of the generals that sit down and they go over strategies of, of wars of the past and they talk about the strategy and, and there's a story where one of the generals that was questioned by one of the men that was learning, and he says, I noticed that you don't have anything on the Six-Day War. He said, no, we don't. He said, why? He said, we don't have any way to unpack miracles. <laughs> there's no military strategy. That's a miracle. We don't talk about the Six-Day War because it's a miracle. So, so these are the things that you see in the people who know God. Those who know God have great thoughts about God. They have a, a fervent prayer life about God. And, and how about this? To know God is also what? To be in all of God. To be complete all of God. I mean, you know, it, it, he talks about this. It, if, if you think about the things that, that, you, that you see and you know about God, look at page 29. 
In page 29 in the book by J.I. Packer, the second thing he says, those who knows God have great thoughts about God. And he goes again talking about, there's so much in the book of Daniel about this. He says, in the face of the might and the splendor of the Babylonian Empire, which had swallowed up Palestine, and the prospect of further great world empires to follow, dwarfing Israel by every standard of human calculation, the book as, as a whole forms a dramatic reminder that the God of Israel is the King of kings and the Lord of lords in chapter 4, verse 26 of Daniel, that heaven rules, that's chapter 4, verse 26, that God's hand is on history at every point, that history indeed is no more than God's story, the unfolding of his eternal plan, that the kingdom which will triumph in the end will be God's kingdom. The people who know God, you know how people who know God live their life? We know God wins. Well, how's that going to happen? Well, we don't know every detail. We have some idea. But here's what I know for sure. God wins. I want to be in the proper standing with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He wins. He's not going to be defeated. Every attempt by evil in, in the supernatural realm and on this earth will not win against God or those who are with God. It will not happen. The central truth which Daniel taught Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 and chapter 4, of which he reminded Belshazzar in, in chapter 5, in which Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged in chapter 4, verses 34 through 37, in which Darius confessed in chapter 6, and that's in verse 25 through 27, and which was the basis, basis of Daniel's prayers that I just mentioned, in chapters 2 and 9, of his confidence in defying authority in chapter 1 and 6, and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their confidence in defying authority in chapter 3, that's the, the great furnace, and, and which formed the staple substance of all the disclosures which God made to Daniel in chapters 2, 4, 7, 8, 10, and 11 and 12 is the truth, and that's this. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. He knows and foreknows all things, and his foreknowledge is it, it, therefore will have the last word both in world history and in the destiny of every man. His kingdom, his righteousness will triumph in the end, for neither men nor angels shall ever thwart him. And that's what you need to know. And that's why you saw Daniel and you saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who knew God the reason why you saw their confidence and you understand that they were in all of God. If you have, if, and, and this is not just Old Testament stuff. If you have your Bible, let's go to Acts. You know, we did a study on Acts too, talking about A.W.E. being in all of God. People who know to know Him is to be in all of Him. If you're not in all of God, you've never known Him. You might know about Him, but you don't know Him. You'd never, you'd never look at sin the same way again if you were in awe of God. How many times in this Wednesday Bible study do we need to make the point, this is why people take God and call him the big man upstairs. This is why they portray Jesus as a hippie. You know why? It makes them easier to sin against. Because if you knew who they really were, you wouldn't talk like that. You wouldn't say those things. You would be in awe, A-W-E, of God, look at the first church. We go to the church age in Acts chapter 2, and I want you to turn there with me, and I want you to look at verse 43. Acts chapter 2, we're now in the church age, and we go to verse 40, 
2. And I, I, I want you to read this with me because you're going to see a word jump out. I'm 43, I'm sorry. Uh, so look at this, what it says in 43. And all, A-W-E, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And it says, all who believed were together and all had things in common. And it talked about the part about them selling their possessions and everything. And it said, look at, look at the verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see that in the Old Testament that, that to be in awe of God is being the proper standing with him because you know what to do against all authorities who try to come against him. We go to the church age and it says the church has started. The Holy Spirit has come down upon the church and it says that the church was in awe of God and that came upon every soul. Everybody was in awe in God. I will tell you something. There's a lot of churches in the United States of America. If you walk in there, let me tell you what you will not see. And that's people in awe of God. You won't. I've been to a lot of them. I see people that are in awe of themselves. And you think the whole worship service is, is wrapped around worshiping people. Or how good a presentation we can put on. Uh, and a lot of modern hymns and that we should be very concerned about, you've heard me talk about this before, seem to be about us. They're not about God. Uh, it's almost like God is in awe of us. Uh, but we are not in awe of him. Well, see, that's a problem because those who know God are in awe of God. You know what the next one is? If you look at uh, page 30 in the book, those who know God show a great boldness for God. Those who know God show a great boldness for God. And boy, don't we see this again back to the book of Daniel. We see this quite a bit. These are people who stick their necks out for God because they'd rather be right with God than right with men no matter what comes upon them. It's almost like we have some attitude that we can know God and no one will ever come against us. And if anybody does come against us, he understands that we compromise him so we don't get in trouble. You know, like I said before, one of the great things that the adversary has sold the modern-day Christian on is that the ultimate goal of the modern-day Christian is to be liked. I just want to be liked by people. Now, we shouldn't be sanctimonious jerks that go out to be hated. However, if people don't like you because of your devotion to God and his tenets and his standards, so be it. Just be sure you're not in the wrong standing with God. So remember, when they knew, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they knew and they counted the cost, they measured the risk. They were well aware what the outcome of their actions would be unless God miraculously intervened, as in fact we know that God did for them. But these things did not move them once they were convinced that they're, listen, this is a great line right here. Listen to this. Everybody listen. Once they were convinced that their stand was right and that loyalty to their God required them to take it, then, in the Oswald Chambers phrase, you know, I love Oswald Chamber, Chambers, if you don't have somewhere in your house my utmost for his highest, correct that. That is the, one of the, the, I think it is, the greatest daily devotion that I've ever read. And that is my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. It will challenge you every day. 
And he used this phrase about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or any who count the cost and say, I'm in with God no matter what you do to me. And look, we saw this throughout Christian history, people who were burned because they would not denounce God. Uh, We know the apostles were martyred because they would not denounce God. Uh, We know all this. But listen to what he says. When Oswald Chambers put it, put it this way, and I love this. They smilingly wash their hands of the consequences. You know what? Hey, if you're coming after me because I'm devoted to God, you do whatever you got to do. But let me tell you what's not going to happen. I will not blaspheme God. Nothing you can do or say will make me do that, and you may kill me. But that just, that just means, as Paul said to to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'll just be in his presence. Hey, he may deliver me from this furnace, maybe, or he may not. But I tell you, we're not going to do Nebuchadnezzar. We're not going to bow to your idol, so there's no need to go get the musicians. You remember Nebuchadnezzar's like trying to give him an out? He's like, hey, let me go get the musicians and, and let's let them play because when they played, you were supposed to worship the idol of him. And, and, and these, these men of God who knew God, they just didn't know about God, they said no need to get the musicians because we know we're not bowing to it. Now, do you think that they were the only Hebrews that were asked about in Nebuchadnezzar? I don't know what happened to the rest of them, but I'm going to guess just based on my experiences with people that there were many of them that justified bowing to an idol and saying, like, cross their fingers. I'm bowing to it, God, but I'm crossing my fingers. But you don't want me to be thrown in some furnace. You don't want me to be crucified. You don't want me to be burned at the stake. You don't want me to be thrown to the lions. You don't want me to be shot by a firing squad. You don't want me to be, my head to be cut off, right? So you know I don't really mean it, God, so I'm going to bow to this idol, but I got my fingers crossed so nothing bad will happen to me because you wouldn't want that anyway. That's not the attitude we see. But I bet that attitude existed because I don't see a list of all these Hebrews that, that were thrown in the furnace uh, or thrown to the lines um, because they refused to bow. Maybe, maybe there were, but I can tell you they, not all did. So let's, let's run through the list again. So we're looking in our lives, and we're trying to see if we have evidence of knowing God. So we know that, that one of the things that's an evidence of knowing God, write this down, is that those who who know God have a great energy for God. Those who know God have great thoughts. They hold the the thoughts of God, his tenets, in high regard. Okay, And then we know those who know God have a great boldness for God. That we know. And and where does the boldness come from? Well, this is is the way that we have to see truly knowing God. Listen to some of the things that happened, not just with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and neither didn't happen, didn't happen just to Daniel. We know that in the, our study of Acts, chapter 5, verse 29, write that down, we see John and we see Peter saying what? We must obey God rather than men, and it got them beat. We know that Paul says in Acts, one of the verse that a friend of mine gave to me, and I now consider it one of my life verses, neither... Count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. Uh, the English Standard Version says, hey, I don't count my life, life of any value if I don't finish the call that God placed on my life. You know, and, and that is the spirit. It does not worry these people of God 
It doesn't worry them that other of God's people see things differently, and they may not stand with them. They don't really care. Nothing is recorded that, uh, that any of the men you know, took the final analysis or cared, hey, I'm going to make this stand, and I'll make it as long as everybody's with me. None of these people had that attitude because all they were focused on is that they knew God so well they, would, they had a boldness for him, and nobody could take it away. They were not going to compromise and blaspheme God. The next one, those who know God have a great contentment in God. They are content. There is no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with the full assurance that they have known God, and God has known them. So there's a contentment for those that know God. Do you have a contentment in your life? For those who know God, there is a contentment. There's a boldness, but there's also a contentment. Look at some of the things that we cling to from the promises of God. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we did this study too. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. And then, of course, think about all the things Romans chapter 8 tells us, one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. I told you that after, you know, our youngest son died his earthly death, I woke up to my wife on that, on that, on that next Sunday morning of her being bathed in Romans chapter 8, and she wanted those promises to be read to her over and over. And when the chapter would be finished, she would say again, and she's hearing things like there is no, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God, heirs of God. We know that all things, God's working for the good of those who love him, for those who know him. That's who he's working things out for good, not for those who, who don't know him. The, those he justifies, he also glorifies. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither the present nor the future will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the things that we cling to, and those things make us content. If you know God, all these things you know that he's done bring contentment. Why aren't you more content? Maybe you don't know God. You might know about God, but you have to know that these things that are being said are true. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. The wrath of God is coming, Rick. You're right, but not on the redeemed. We're promised that in Scripture. Who, who can come against us if God is for us? I hope that we are listening to this. This is the peace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew Hence the, the contentment with which they stood their ground in the face of Nebuchadnezzar's ultimate, uh, you know, uh, this ultimatum that he threw down was not a pretty one. And this is what he said in Daniel 3.15. Write this down, Daniel 3.15. If you do not worship the image, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? In verses 16 through 18, remember their reply. This is chapter 3 of Daniel, verses 16 through 18. O 
Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They never panicked. They are content. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is, is, is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. They're being kind to him. They're not trying to, to, to disrespect him. But, and this is the part that, that a lot of us don't like, but even if he does not, meaning if no deliverance comes, if this furnace consumes our bodies, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods. It doesn't matter to us. It makes no difference whether we live or we die. We know what we will and we won't do concerning our God, and we are content with the outcome. Think about the things in your life. My wife and I talk about this all the time. Could God have raised our son from the dead? Could he have been brought out of that pool and revived? Absolutely. But we serve him and we're content with him either way. I didn't sit there and go, well, now if my son is revived, then I'm going to serve God. But if he's not, then, you know, then I, no, I can't serve God like that. And you know why? Because I knew, I, I knew God and, and I'm still getting to know God and I have found that he's so much more wonderful than any attempt for me to create heaven here on earth could ever be. And some of us have got to stop this, this, this constant trying to find heaven here on earth. I'll never forget it. My wife said it last night in Pensacola, and the pastor there and, and, and the others there all kept saying it. When Sherry says, I did at one time, and she admits this, and I love her honesty, I cried out to God, but we were so happy. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, hey, you know, we're living here with Nebuchadnezzar. We've been given a lot of responsibility. We're in good standing with him. We still got you, Lord. Why in the world have you got us in this position? Now we may be thrown into the fire. I thought that we had a pretty good gig here. Hey, but we were so happy. And you know what God said to them? The same thing that he said to Sherry and then to me. But I want you to be holy. That's the goal to know God and to experience and be consumed with his holiness as he passes it on to those who know him. I didn't call you to be happy. I called you to be holy. I didn't call you to be happy. I called you to be content. And for me, God, to be enough. And you know what? He is. I have found that to be the truth. He really is that wonderful. So, what would be some first steps that we could take in closing if we desire such knowledge of God? Well, first of all, we must recognize how much we lack knowledge of God. We, we, we must learn to measure ourselves not by our knowledge about God, but by our gifts and responsibilities and things like that. That's not what we're doing. You may be doing a great job at your church, and that's great. That's a wonderful thing. But, but have you, are you willing to assess and recognize how impoverished you really are 
at the level of truly knowing God. Not just, not just about God and some of your responsibilities and some of your theology. Are you willing to assess yourself based on some of the evidences that have been laid out here and say, I need work here. I, I need to know God better. What's the next thing we should do on a first step? So first we've got to assess and be willing to say, I'm not where I need to be. Second, we must seek the Savior. How about this? Those who have sought the Lord Jesus till they have found him, for the promise is that when we seek him with all of our hearts, we shall, we shall surely find him. Jesus said that. Don't forget that. He said, if you will seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Assess your need and then seek the Lord Jesus the way he said to because to seek Jesus is to find Jesus. To find Jesus is to be ushered into the presence of the Godhead completely. I came to save you. I'm God coming to you when you could not come to him. And I will escort you into the presence of the one and only living God. I am your way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one will come to the Father except through me. So, so where is this? Because who can stand before the world to testify that they have truly known God? And I'll tell you who, those who have truly sought Jesus. This really is available to know God. So as you assess yourself in closing today on, on, on these evidences of knowing God, how, how do you stack up? I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself the same thing. And then what are you willing to do about it? Are you willing to take action? Well, we're going to continue on a journey. I mean, we're going to, we're going to have two Wednesdays that I'll be on vacation, and, and I will find time to be in solitude and to, to ponder these things myself. We'll come back. We'll pick up Chapter 3, and then we'll continue on our journey till we finish this series. So take this time. Don't let the hustle and bustle of this wonderful celebration. And I want you to remember what I said at the beginning of this Bible study. It's something that, that I have been doing the last several years on Christmas because I know that there's a lot of people out there that have a Ricky Bobby theology when it comes to Christmas. Uh, I would not recommend that movie, and please don't watch it. Uh, but uh, you may be familiar with the scene of the character Rick, Ricky Bobby, played by Will Ferrell, uh, saying that he prefers the baby Jesus. And he wants to pray to the baby Jesus because that's his favorite Jesus. Um, and, and even though that is a, uh, a movie that, um, that I don't think is pleasing to God, I will tell you that uh, whether they're trying to be funny or not, there's a lot of honest, bad theology in that. And that is too many times at Christmas we obsess over the baby Jesus as if that still is Jesus. Hey, baby Jesus is over. We need to remember it. Because it's a big deal. That's, but why was it good news that he came? Because we needed to be redeemed by a holy God. He came to save us, and we need to remember that. But he already has. Baby Jesus is over. 
the lowly servant form of Jesus is over. The crucified Jesus is over. And the resurrected Jesus has returned to his proper glory. So let's remember that God came to us. We could not come to him. But now let's take action that we need to be seeking him and pursuing him with all of our hearts, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, with all of our minds to truly know him. So we remember what he did, but we seek to know him to be in the proper standing for what he's going to do. And that is to return and refine this place by fire and create the new heaven and the new earth and all of those who don't know God and oppose God will be eradicated forever. Remember what he did, but prepare for what he's going to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, I, I, I can sense your spirit on, uh, on this lesson. Uh, I, I sense uh, the refinement that is taking place in my spirit right now of, of, of the, the things that I need to take the next step on. And I pray for those that are hearing this and watching this right now that, Lord, you just, you just press on them and make them so uncomfortable until they totally submit to your authority. Till they have a fervor and a fire to know you, not just know about you, but to know you. I mean, you, you may know a lot about a historical figure, but if you've never met him and never spent time with him or her, you really don't know them. You just know about them. So help us, Lord, to understand the difference and discern it and to seek to know you. And I pray, Lord, that you draw all those to redemption that need it, that have never been redeemed by you, Lord, that they repent of their sin and they turn from their sin right now and they turn to you and say, I am glad you came to us. But, Lord, I've never repented and submitted to the authority and never been redeemed by the gift that you provided on the cross when you came to redeem the world. I want that peace. I want the good news. I want the great joy. And I don't have it. But today, Lord, I seek it, and I repent of my sins, and I submit to your authority, and I ask you to bring me those things and reveal yourself to me as I seek to know you. I pray these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. If there's anything I can do to help you, obviously I'll be going on vacation as of Friday. I still have access to email, rick at rickandbubba.com. Uh, if you have any questions, I'll help you any way that I can. Thank you so much for taking time uh, to spend with us. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, for me and my family, and I look forward to, to being back with you on January the 6th. I hope you have a great Christmas. I hope you have a great New Year. I hope you stay safe, and I look forward to our next time together.